I bet you're going to have more fun than they are. I'm kidding. One of the reasons why I think in our time some of us have difficulty reading the Bible is because we have been convinced since truth is facts, we're searching the scripture for facts. And the most conservative brand of the Christian faith then tries to take each sentence of the Bible as a fact. And our brand of the Christian faith has tried to bury behind the Bible to find out what actually were the facts. And that actually is not what the Bible is about. The Bible is an accumulation of stories. Stories that shape generations. And then generations you can actually see in Scripture the passing on of stories and how the story we... One of the reasons why we went through the story of the Exodus and Genesis that last fall, I think last summer, was that it's an important story, and it comes back and again, back and again. So we are shaped by stories. We, you might even say we are created and recreated by the stories that we tell. And you can't sit with anyone very long, no matter what age, and not after a while begin to really just hear their stories. People begin storytelling. It's the most natural thing. People in times of crisis recall the stories that were most important to them. You sit around a dinner table and eventually people enjoy telling good stories. The Bible is in some sense an accumulation of stories that have shaped our ancestors in faith. Now, sometimes stories are told about us around those tables, and that's the family unit. When I go back to uh, my hometown in Missouri, uh, I find myself being sort of slipped into stories that have been told about me uh, and are still told about me. One is, I was on social media last night, and my, my sister said, that's a good picture, little brother. Well, uh, on the eve of my 50th birthday, I don't really live into the little brother story that well anymore. Yet when I go back to the Midwest, I'm always little brother. I was enjoying that moment when, when Hannah raised her hand and all the preacher's kids in the room sort of knew that knew what that experience was like, being the staff kid or the preacher's kid. You have going back to my hometown. My dad likes to show me off, like I'm the pre, like I'm the twelve year old preacher's kid taken around town. It's like that's his story, uh, but it's not really mine anymore. It was as a point, point. and this, there is a sense in which we really are shaped by the stories that we tell, the stories told about us. The stories, and then there's moments of crisis in our lives in which we must in some way begin to tell our story differently than we had expected. I was clearing out my uh, uh, old file in my office uh, and suddenly discovered something that I had thought I had lost. About Eight, nine years ago, I was at a dark night of the soul. We're trying to retell the story of my life, which was different than I had expected. And during that time, I had saved receipts at important moments. Uh, and I'd accumulated in those files. And I thought I had lost that, which was a cry. I, I, 
disappointed because I want to go back and probably for nobody else, but for me, write the story that's associated with that with that receipt because that was a part of my piecing together a new story for my life. In our recent losses in this congregation, which are so close to us, it occurs to me that grieving is a part of tell, retelling our story in a new way that we had not expected. And part of that is letting go of an old story, blessing it and being grateful for it, and then beginning to reshape our identities in a new way. We are truly shaped and challenged by story. Today's texts, both of them, New Testament and Old, occur at crisis moments in the telling of our story in faith. In the gospel lesson, Peter has just gotten the right words. Jesus, you are the Christ. But then Jesus begins to tell, foretell, what that's going to mean. It's going to be a story of rejection, not success. It's going to be a story of great suffering, not conquest. And Peter cannot accept it. He's not yet able to retell that story. And it's one of my favorite lines that I often quote in Scripture when somebody comes at me with a piece of chocolate, get behind me, Satan. But what's happening here is Jesus, actually Peter is almost tempting Jesus with a different story about God than the one that is going to be truthful. For Jesus and the first disciples, what Jesus says, those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake, the gospel will save it. For the first disciples and Jesus, this would be literally true. But for us, that line that those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for the sake of the gospel will save it. For me, is about letting go of old stories. Sometimes we save our lives or find a new life by letting go, blessing and giving thanks for that old story and embracing the new one. It's about retelling our lives. Sometimes it's like a puzzle that fits together now in a whole new place and then the whole thing then changes. This is a basic, as it turns out, a basic life skill of letting go, embracing the new. And it was a hard teaching then and now. Dark nights of the soul, the wilderness, Lent is a season that rehearses it. Are moments where we contemplate our stories and look to retell them. It perhaps is added to death or for me, it was the end of a primary relationship. It may be that we are finally learning to claim our true selves in the midst of all the other stories people are telling about us. For United Methodist Community of Faith, I would suggest that we are at a particular crossroads where we are now learning to retell.
tell a story, a story that was a little different than we might have expected 50 years ago? Can we, in fact, let go of an old story that was about size, numbers, popularity, conquest of a society, old stories? Can we as a church let go of old stories of failure for something new and let that new story shape us? At turning points, we have a choice. It turns out in Scripture, there are two ways, and this is a vast generalization, but for our purposes, there are two ways of speaking about the power of God. There's a story about a triumphant, overpowering God who vanquishes the powers of evil through mighty works. And that's in Scripture. Scripture was written by human beings, and we've always found this image of God appealing, of the conquering God who vanquishes our enemies, and I call this the, and others have too, this right-handed power, this God of right-handed power. And this, if you read, listen to the gospel lesson closely, this was Peter's understanding. This was how Peter expected God to work in the world. And so when Jesus began to tell him a different story than that, he couldn't accept it. And the whole Gospel of Mark, as we will hear it, is written to counter the right power image of God's power in the Gospel. It's, why, it's how you can make sense of every time something, uh, some action-adventure moment that you would see in a movie, every time that happens, Jesus squelches it. He says, don't talk about that. That's not what I'm here for. That's the image of right-handed power. I had someone coming out of a Bible study class this week tell me about a book they had re read about the um, European popes in the, for most of the Christian history. Well, we have, as Christians, found right-handed power very appealing. And so through most of Christian history, Christians were, met, were wedded with political power. And that's part of our story. Turns out not to be the one before us now. And I think that's a good thing. It brings us closer to the gospel as we find it. So can we, in fact, learn to re retell our story that's closer to the faithfulness of God? At the beginning of Scripture, we meet Abraham and Sarah at another crossroads. I think last Sunday or two Sundays ago, I described how at the beginning of the Bible, God, God puts away the war bow. Now, we, that comes to us as, the, as Noah and the ark and the friendly rainbow and all that. But it's actually, in the whole narrative of the Bible, I have come to read that, read the whole story differently. In that moment, God is putting away that right-handed power, the power of Almighty God to cleanse creation by force. And instead, choosing a new way of loving creation from within, walking beside folks, calling individual people faulty to the, lot, to the letter all of them are. Abraham and Sarah thought the idea that they were going to found a people that perhaps wouldn't conquer the world but would bless it, they thought this was ridiculous. Their story, they thought their story in life had already been written. 
How old were Abraham and Sarah? According to the text, they were they were old. And I don't know why the lectionary left it off. Uh, it's the most important moment in the, the story. They both laughed. They bowled over. You know, it was estimate. The remarkable thing is that God comes to our into our midst once our lives have already been written and gives us a new story. Can we claim that story? Can we be a new church for a new era? Can we let go of life stories that no longer are helpful for us, that with tears we let go as we reform ourselves? The stories we tell. But above all things, recognize that the Bible is a story of God's faithfulness. As we let go of stories, take on new ones, it always is God's faithfulness walking beside us. May we go into this world with courage, recognizing that we can be a new people for a new age. And to God alone will be the glory, now and forever. Amen.